When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Had a reputation of doing that in the past, and obviously it's uh, it's been really tough to break those old habits. But we're going to continue to try and and work towards that. Some highlights, or I guess if you're an Oilers fan, lowlights from last night's game. Three goals in the second period for Toronto. Uh, I would probably nominate, not probably, I would nominate that for worst period of the year by your Edmonton Oilers and some comments by head coach Todd McClellan after practice today. Again, they shuffled up the power play units. Sekera, McDavid, Lucic, Dreisaitl, and Latestu together. Clefbaum, Nuge, Kajula, Eberle, and Maroon together. More on 630Ched.com slash Oilers head coach Todd McClellan says there's a good chance Tyler Pitlick plays tomorrow. Uh, I know a lot of people have said, well, they've uh, lost every game without Pitlick. He sat out the last two games, not the last three, though I know that's uh, not, a, not a huge point, but just for to uh, be accurate there. Uh, I wonder if Benoit Pouliot's going to come out again. I wonder if... Uh, Matt Hendricks is going to come out. I don't think he has looked uh, as energetic as you would usually expect. I wonder if even if Drake Kajula could get a break. I didn't think the uh, former NCAA star had a very effective game last night. We'll see. We'll talk about that with Kevin Carius from Global Television making his regular Wednesday appearance when there's not an Oilers game. How you doing, Kevin? Good evening. How's it going, Reed? Doing great. Hey, uh, before we get to all the Oilers talk, and I know yeah. we want to talk about some of the great cup fun as well, uh, we just had Sean Bell in studio, right, where you're sitting. Sean Bell, yeah. Um, I remember we did an interview with him a long, long time ago. I think he was about 15 years old. 
Uh, it was kind of funny. I think they were just coming through. Um, he might have been 16 because he was playing uh, in the Western League. He was coming through town. I think he was named to an under-17 team or an under-18. I can't even remember now. It's a long time ago, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, But it was kind of neat just to talk to him because he was on the road with his team. And, you know, we, we just kind of tracked him down because at that time he was the lone local player to be named to this team. So, uh it was kind of funny how you go when when I kind of heard him with you that that's one of the first memories that I have of him when he was a young kid playing and then we kind of snagged him on the road uh, when they were uh, visiting Edmonton. Yeah, uh, first round draft pick uh, obviously he wanted to play in 20 games in the NHL but tons of pro games in North America and, and in Europe and I mean as, and as you know Kevin, I mean we're privileged to get to cover sports and interview coaches and athletes all the time Um a lot of times, the you get the best stories from the a the retired guys and and b the guys who weren't the stars, right? Because they got they have nothing to lose. Who are they going to piss off? Oh, like the backup goalies, right? <laughs> the you backup know. goalies. Don't they? The best don't stories. they seem to spill the beans a lot? Don't they? No, <laughs> and they end up all being analysts, right? Because they had the best seat in the house. So no, you're right. You get some good uh, uh, commentary, good good vision, something maybe that uh, the other high profile, high prominent guys don't want to really talk about. But uh, yeah, no, Sean's a really really good guy, and I think he has a good uh, good career ahead of him in the coaching ranks. Yeah, currently working with Nate. We talked about that. I bugged him that uh, they're not going to be unbeaten like last year's team. <laughs> so the coaching staff clearly is, clearly is a problem this year. They've already <laughs> lost three games through half the year. Yeah, no so. kidding. I mean, uh, that was that was a dream season last year, wasn't it? Oh, those guys were incredible. I mean, yeah, we had Gabinette and a couple players in mm-hmm. one night, and uh, yeah, they just they just kept rolling. And then the thing, the uh, thing Augustana gave him a couple good runs. Yep, though. You that's true. Be I think they had an overtime yep. or a shootout game. And, yeah, the thing with that is, I mean, certainly they were incredibly talented, but when, when a team wins like that, you're getting everybody's best game yeah, all the time, right? Absolutely. Like, teams are just throwing everything at you. No question about that. And, I mean, they, those, there was a couple Augustana games because a good friend of mine coaches uh, there, Blaine Gustall. And, yeah. You know, and he, he said, man, we were just so close, so close, so close. But uh, he always said that Nate was the better team, but we were very close to beating them. It's funny, you know, as, as you and I talk, we, we find out connections because I know Blaine because he coached the Minnesotan Islanders for a couple of <laughs> seasons and they used to play the Lloyd Border Kings in the Allen Cup playdowns. And one year they had seven former U of A guys on their team, uh, Russ Hewson leading the way, who was a, a great golden yeah. bear. And uh, anyway. Blaine and I go back to, we were 17 years old playing in the SJHL together. As, really? As 17-year-olds, that's when we first met. Yeah. Now, what style of player were you? In the SJ, because oh, there wouldn't been as many teams, no, so you were pretty good. No, I was I was a very average player, probably. I mean, I I could pass well, and uh, but uh, no, I was wasn't a standout or anything. I had a few uh, knee problems, but uh, I sh- I sure enjoyed. It. I played four years, missed two half seasons in the SJHL, so uh, played four years uh, in Melville, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Did you fight? Uh, very rarely. Um, I got into a fight uh, once uh, with a guy that is a pretty... It just didn't end well for me. Let's just say that. Okay, he, fair he ended up, he, And then, you know what? He ended up to be a pretty good uh, fighter in the NHL. So. Well, who was that? Uh, Kelly Chase. Oh, well, so, so you were brave. You, well, you no, it's just stupid. You it's just <laughs> dumb. It was over 10 seconds. Well, that's longer than I would last. Yeah, well... <laughs> 
Yeah. I actually I talked to Chaser about it. He didn't really remember it. He said, uh, how am I supposed to remember something that happened that fast? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, he probably had a few hundred of them. Oh, so, yeah. so, that was the, so then he went after that. He went to the Blades, Sastoon Blades. He was playing in, in Humboldt at the time. They had a really good team, too. Why'd they call them the Millionaires again? Back in the early 1900s, they were... Uh, the, the story was that... It might have been a guy named Goldie Smith, too, who had NHL ties. They were paying their players so much that they called them the millionaires. And uh, and that's a, a true story. In 1915, I think it is, they were, they were for a brief time, the world amateur champions nice. in 1915. They ended up losing... Uh, oh, man, I'm going to have to check out the Melville history books again. But they went on to play... And they didn't. They weren't recognized because another team beat them that year, and oh. then they went on the trophy as that as that year. Oh uh, wow! I, I think it was 1915. Yeah, that's one of the classic hockey team yeah. names because like, you'd never name a team that nowadays. No, right? I mean, like, and then there were some copycats like Quinnell Millionaires and oh, good point, out, yeah. out there and stuff like that. So Kevin Carius from Global Television joining us in studio at 7:13 Inside Sports on 6:30. Chetty and Henry Burris coming up in about. Uh, half an hour or so so that'll be fun to talk to Hank after the big win and Kevin and I will talk great cup but uh, you know the hockey team the Oilers I'm talking about obviously <laughs> people are like wonder which team he's talking about uh, man oh man up and down I mean the the record of 12-10-2 and two, uh, if, if, uh, if, if somebody had told us that Kevin on the eve of the start of the season we probably wouldn't have been shocked we might have even had been slightly pleasantly surprised I mean I looked at the schedule and I thought October it's a little more favorable. Maybe they can go six and three, and November's tougher. Maybe they could win seven and get to thirteen wins. So that was kind of my ideal total. It's just been—I I think it's been maddening to fans because you see these bursts of five wins in a row, sixteen goals in three games, and then you see the last three, and you're like, "Have they forgotten how to score? How to play tough? What's going on?" You look at the schedule, and we talked about this. How many weeks? That ten-game stretch. Yep in November is going to be key to decide just where this team is at and where it can go. You come out of there, not bad. You know, not bad. But then you look at the schedule again and you go, okay, here we go. We got Arizona back-to-back. We got the Leafs coming into our barn. You know, these are te- these are games when you look on the schedule and go, after all the stuff that we went through, playing like playing well against Chicago, playing well against other top-notch caliber teams, and then you don't come out with that uh, execution against those caliber teams. That's where it's frustrating, I think, for not only the fans but for the team itself. Yeah, because I mean, and that's and I was referencing this last night on overtime open line. I think that's why Todd McClellan calls them a growth team because the really good teams they they're you're talking about four out of six points over these <laughs> last three games, if not six out of six. You know, they they win the games you, you should win. They haven't proved that they're ready to take that next step. Exactly, And that's, you, you would think there was a couple times already this year where they were already starting to take that step, but then now they've taken one back for sure. Yeah, and I don't know what to expect. I, I mean, if if this was last year, I'd be like, yep, they're probably going to win one game over the next two weeks. But I I, I can't say, I, I maybe they're going to go and beat Winnipeg 5-1 tomorrow. Maybe they're going to lose 5-1. I, I, have, I have no idea. That's the thing. You don't know what you're going to get. It's just been totally inconsistent for a long for long periods of time. Almost you could call it the whole season. You know, they got off that great start, and then basically it's been a lot of inconsistency. Uh, we, well, let, let's stick around. Let, let's talk a little bit about McClellan and some of his lineup decisions sure. because that's some criticism he's been taking. Kevin Carius in studio. By the way, it's 3-0 Calgary leading Toronto. 
Well, the Leafs had nothing left. After yeah, they're night. burnt out for playing the Oilers. <laughs> that's that's what we'll say. It's seven sixteen inside sports on Chet. Please drop off a new toy for 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous at any shopping center, Costco, Toys R Us, or Canadian Tire. Making Christmas dreams come true. 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. And I want to let you know about this. On Friday on Inside Sports from 6 to 7, we're going to have a live auction. So you'll be calling in. We'll have Lana Nordland from Santa's Anonymous manning the phones. We're auctioning off a sports lovers package. All, all thing, everything going to Santa's Anonymous. You get a pair of Edmonton Eskimos season seats, and you get four tickets to Oilers Wild on January 31st. Club seats, row 23, provided by Kingston Ross Pasnak LLP. So there you go. Good for them. It'll be Friday from 6 to 7. Yeah, good for them for stepping up to do that. Santa's Anonymous, uh, outstanding again. SantasAnonymous.ca for more. The delivery date, Saturday, December 17th, Sunday, December 18th. Uh, the depot now at 12122 68th Street. That's the Jerry Forbes Center for Community Spirit. Lana Nordlin is incredibly, and I admire the work she does. And she works year-round. Mm-hmm. It ramps up now, right but she's on. always planning stuff exactly. and doing everything. So that's uh, that's really cool. The other voice is Kevin Carius. I'm Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. Fun show. We had Sean Bell in. We had Kelly Rudy off the top. Uh, I think we've uh, more or less uh, beaten the power play discussion to death for for now unless they go 0 for 10 tomorrow and then we'll be back into it uh you, you know <laughs> one thing that i remember some old coaches saying if they if you ever have problems on a power play put two guys in front of the net so have one guy flanking the goaltender on each side maybe out a little bit a foot or two and see what the the team that you're playing against see what they do to respond defensively to that how do they react what system do they implement for you to do because obviously now you, you you're not going to be passing it around the horn like we see the Oilers do and every other team do, mm-hmm. and just see what happens there. The other thing that I'd like to see the Oilers do, and I've only seen it once this year, is have Connor McDavid on the other side on his on wing on, on his wing. wing. Yeah. Now, Ian Herbers when he was coaching the Alberta Golden Bears, that's how he set up his power play. He never had his. So strong side winger, which would be Connor McDavid, he never had him on the off wing. He had him on his left-hand side. Mm -hmm. What it did was open up different lanes because all teams defend to have that guy who is ever operating along the half boards to have the puck basically closer to the defenseman because you're going to be passing it back and forth as they play catch all the time. If he's on the other side, basically it opens up other lanes for other players to jump into certain spots. Another thing that I haven't seen them do, and I know Ian Herbers did that a lot when he was coaching the Golden Bears, and, I mean, you can't compare the Bears to NHL, let's be honest, but they did have a very successful power play. The other thing, too, it's obviously Jay Woodcroft's baby, the power play. Yep. So, uh, and again, you can uh, go on the Oilers page on 630chad.com to see this the story about the power play today. The lineup discussion is interesting. You got uh, Pouliot, uh, no points in his last 13 games, not including the three he didn't play in. Cassian, pointless. Or p- pardon me, Pouliot's up to 14. Cassian, no points in 15. Now, he's a, not as an, an offensive guy, but that's a long time. Maroon hasn't scored in eight. Not to just pick on those three guys, mm-hmm. but we got some guys in slumps. Um, 
you know, Hendricks doesn't seem to be quite the same. I don't know if that's just age-related or injury-related. I think a little of both. Probably a little of both. Uh, you know, Kajula is clearly finding out the regular way. season's tougher yeah. than, than the preseason. Now, Pitlick got scratched the last two games. And when we know that wasn't fair, and Todd McClellan would tell you that that wasn't fair. He, if there's a good chance he plays tomorrow. Can you take Pouliot back out again? Because I assume if they could somehow trade Pouliot, they would. Mm-hmm. But it's even harder. It's You can't trade a guy who's playing poorly. It's even harder to trade a guy who's not playing play it at all. So I, mean, I wonder who comes out for Pitlick tomorrow and potentially Slepeshev too. Potentially, yeah. I think when you uh, saw the line combinations uh, that all you guys were tweeting out today. And they had two four, groups of seven, which yes, is different, right? That tells me that they, they would make that decision on the plane today going to Winnipeg mm-hmm. uh, because you want to let the guys know tonight. Uh, in my mind, I mean, uh, you, or else you have a very uh, darn good idea before, you know, right at the morning skate. So, yeah. you know, but um, I think that they're they're almost at the end of trying combinations already because nothing's worked in this last little bit. And even like when you look at with Connor McDavid's situation now with Leon Drysaddle there, I've always thought, okay, like no, there's no one ever. No one in the league is going to be able to keep up with Connor McDavid speed-wise and what he's going to do when he attacks the zone. But they have to keep up with him in thinking-wise. So if they can keep up to him thinking-wise, then they're going to have success with him, you know, physicality-wise with what he offers with speed and stick handling and et cetera and, and things like that. So someone has to be able to figure this out I mean, I think Milan Lucic is doing a lot better now than he was at the start of the year, Mm -hmm. and that's why he went back on. But I think um, someone on the right side has got to figure this out already. You know, we've got 25 games in or whatever. Just think the game on the same level as McDavid. Don't try to um, do things physically and jump into certain areas and and things like that. Make sure you try to stay on the same uh, wavelength as he is upstairs. Yeah, I, I mean, then that's. I mean, it's intriguing to me to, to potentially see Drysaddle there for a full game or at least to start the mm-hmm. game tomorrow. If they do do that, that loads up. I mean, your three, your top four scores on on one line, so you know you're, what kind of matchups you're seeing. But I mean, somebody called in earlier and said. You know, are they going to be able to keep up McDavid? Or are they too? Are they going to wait for McDavid to do it all? Well, I sure hope not, because McDavid's doing. Well, he's, everyone he's else is watching right goal. now. Everyone else I mean, is. Every, watching. They're yeah, all watching the right now. Um, I mean, when Drysaddle's been up there, you know, the, for the, a, a few, you know, whatever you call it, eight, ten, twelve minute uh, spurts, it, there is a little bit of. I think I don't want to use chemistry right now because it's, you can't say that. But I think at times there is a certain area where Leon can think the game like Connor McDavid. Yeah, fair point. Kevin Carius from Global Television in studio. He's going to stick around after the 7.30 news. He has some stories about a young, smiling Hank. A young Henry Burris. He knew him when he was a rookie. Yeah, not even. (laughs) No, yeah, really wasn't even anything. No, well, I don't even know if he was dressing at the time. Uh, and then you'll hear from Henry himself all in the final half hour of Inside Sports. That's coming up after the news. Thanks for listening tonight.
I'm J.C. Shirt of your Edmonton Eskimos. This season, please support 630 Chet Santa's Anonymous. You ask me to All right. be Thanks your Thanks for savior. tuning in tonight at 7.33. Quick update here. The Islanders lead the Penguins 2-0 halfway through the game. Flames up 3-0 on Toronto after one. Still to come tonight, the Sharks and the Kings. That's it for NHL action this evening. Tomorrow at 4.30 in the afternoon, we'll sign on with the face-off show the Oilers and the Jets will drop the puck at uh, 6 o'clock, second meeting of the season between the two teams. The Oilers won the Heritage Classic about a month and a half ago, and they'll play again here in uh, Edmonton on Sunday, December 11th. I'm Reed Wilkins, joined by Global Television's Kevin Karius. He joins us uh, every Wednesday when we have a show. And, Kevin, uh, we're going to have Henry Burris on here in about uh, 10 minutes, so that'll be fun to catch up with the Great Cup MVP. Maybe our last interview with him as a player. We'll yeah. see if he retires or not. But you were off air. I, I think fans will be interested in this. You remember a very young and, and unknown Henry Burris. Well, before I got to Edmonton in 1998, uh, I, I went from Saskatoon where I was working at CFQC. I went to CTV um, Calgary. So I was working at uh, CFCN there uh, in 1997. And Henry Burris, that's when he came to the Calgary Stampeders. Now, on that roster, they had Dave Dickinson, who was the backup quarterback, and the starter was uh, Jeff Garcia. So they had, you know, you got two pretty good quarterbacks. It was way different at that time how the media kind of went to practices and uh, um, cajoled with the players. Uh, It doesn't happen now anymore because of uh, restrictions with the CFL. But at that time, uh, Henry Burris came in from uh, Temple? My, I can't remember now. Wasn't he Cincinnati? Oh, I think Burris was Cincinnati. Out. Anyway, uh, yeah, geez, now I'm, I'm kind of confused. Here, I'll yeah. look it up. Anyway. Um, no, it was, uh, it was Temple. It was, okay, yeah. So he came in, and he was, you know, he had, everyone knew he had, a, like, a wild arm. This guy could chuck it. and uh, But he never, ever got to really practice because, I mean, between Garcia and Dickinson, they're taking pretty well all the reps, so... Henry Burris would sit on the sidelines or stand, and back then that's where all the media would hang out, and you could, you could be within, you know, ten feet of a player and and not have anyone, uh, you know, put you in handcuffs kind of thing. So, I mean, we we would end up talking to him, all the media, and that's kind of where he got the the, the nickname Smiling Hank, and. Um, uh, you know, he was just so genuine as a guy. He was such a young guy at the time. It's, you know, it's 20 years ago. And for him to come into that situation with those two great quarterbacks, I mean, I can't imagine how much he learned. He probably said this many times in interviews, how much he learned from Garcia and uh, as well as Dickinson. But, I mean, Alondra Johnson was another guy on that team, I remember, right. that would just talk to the, your ear off. You know, he would. He was almost like the Odell Willis of today, right. but it was a, a, just a different <laughs> situation. But, you know, Burris was just a, a just a great young guy to hang around with uh, in 1997. Do you think that Sunday's result will change the way Burris is remembered? I mean, he's always been a rival of Eskimos teams. Um but I mean, the CFL is has been an eight or nine team league for most of my life, mm-hmm. and it's almost like you have to win multiple Grey Cups to really be remembered as a great quarterback. Even Calvillo, to some extent, if he would have retired just with one, might have been different. But he got those two late in his career. Um, do you, you think this changes Burris's legacy or how fans are going to recall him in five, ten, fifteen years? I do years? for yeah. sure. I think it cements his legacy as being. Uh, 
you know, a, a guy, you, you're always going to hear that phrase, good, good Hank, bad Hank. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that followed him around his whole career. But there's no question, he, you know, when he was on, there weren't too many quarterbacks that were better than Henry Burris when he was on. And, I mean, for him to get number three ring, I think he cements his legacy to being one of the top quarterbacks that's ever played in the CFL. His longevity is is there too. I mean, I mean, I, I can't remember now how many years he went down and played with the Bears. And I think he was and, just gone one year, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, it might have been a couple. I think Reed. They got him. Uh, sorry, oh, they got him. O one Packers, O two yeah. Bears, O three Berlin Thunder. But he yeah. was back in Saskatchewan later in O three. So, so he missed a couple call, of years. Call it, yeah. yeah, two and a half, three years probably. So I mean, he, he he was he was is a great quarterback. Was a great quarterback, and you know if he chooses to retire, I think he goes down as one of the best uh, in in the league. I'm going I'm, I'm to ask him that for sure in about ten minutes. Okay. Um, that that game, insane. Uh, the storyline. I mean, it's it, games with comebacks are always exciting, but that one to me was even amplified because you had the underdog taking a huge lead. I, I don't know, Kevin. I mean, uh, I mean, I can remember pretty much every Grey Cup since about '82 for sure. '81 right. and '80 are a little fuzzy. Uh, th- this is top three that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, 89, for, 89 for, is, number one. is number one because we're Saskatchewan guys. Even, even for me not being a Saskatchewan yeah, fan. Yeah, I was mean, 89 game. was insane. Uh, but this one was right up there, too, just because of the storyline. No one gave Ottawa a chance, but to see them come out hard and come out and, you know, they... To be honest, I mean, I think Rick Campbell needs a little more credit than what he's been getting here. I think he coached a hell of a football game, and... Um, you know they made they made more plays in Calgary, and and the Stampeders failed to execute on a number of key plays. And now it's a difference in the ball game. You know about five six plays right there. Two thousand five was a great game. Uh, that'd be in my top three. I mean ninety four mm-hmm. BC and Baltimore was an incredible finish, and you had the American team yeah. denied temporarily. Ninety five they won. Uh, yeah, that wasn't won a Cal- good game. No, it wasn't. But uh, it was. It was a hell of an atmosphere in yeah, Regina. True. You were, were you at that one? I covered that one. Yeah, oh, it was nice. in ninety five. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 81, I was still pretty young. Obviously, that came down to the end. Yeah. Uh, what else am I trying to think of here? Uh, well, you know what? Somebody somebody said, what about 2009? And I said, it wasn't much of a game till the last 10 minutes. And then it had the most bizarre finish ever. Yeah. But I with the too many men, that's the game we're talking about. But I, I wouldn't call that a great all-round game. No, though. just a bizarre finish. 76, when you think about it, with Ottawa winning in 76. Yeah, see, I don't it's one of, yeah, it's one of my first memories in seeing Tony Gabriel uh, catch that ball. Do you know I had him on the show on Monday? Yeah, I think I, I heard that. Yeah, I didn't hear the interview, but yeah, he, was he was good coming on, yeah. All right, uh, we're, we're running short on time because we got Hank scheduled yeah. for about 7.45, 7.46 here. Uh, just uh, quickly, was it uh, Sarah at your station did the store in McDavid visiting the... Uh, well, you go yeah, ahead. Sarah yeah, Sarah Kroos, yeah. Uh, a, a girl in, in town just had some bad news, and she basically put together a little bucket list of what she wanted to do here for the next few weeks because uh, things aren't working out too well for her. But, I mean, she... And the the response that we got at Global has just been overwhelming, like just flooded with calls, emails, and companies, and people, and whatever. I mean, Sarah would be better to explain it all to you, but, I mean, one of her... Dreams was to meet Connor McDavid, and and then Connor McDavid showed up, and they took a couple pictures together, and you know that just made her made her day for sure. Uh, we we will yeah. give this more time another day, but it, but, it, but in a minute, yeah. any guys that stand well, out? Uh, well, George Larocque is right. for sure because, and Doug Waite for me, the times that I've been here as far as Oilers, those guys always went to the Stollery 
or to other places where they needed to cheer up or wanted to cheer up a, a, a child. And they would go there on their own time without the cameras. And that's the key in my mind. Those guys went all the time. And here's like there were no cameras with Connor McDavid at this thing. You know, think about it. If there were no Twitter or no no cameras just taking a picture, it. he just would have done it, right? And that's what's the, what the key is. But those are two guys that come to mind for me. And you know what? Even a lot of the football guys, like even Ryan King, Grant Shaw, do a, a great job of things right now in our city uh, for the Eskimos. Kevin, you do a great job on this show. Are we back on next Wednesday or are we got a game? No, you're here next uh, Wednesday. I'll, I'll text the, you in the morning. I'll be the one with bells on. That's Kevin Carius from Global Television, a slightly better football player than Kevin and I is up next. Henry Burris when we get back. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. J.C. Sheridan, the Eskimos, knocked out of the CFL playoffs by Henry Burris and the Ottawa Red Blacks, who would go on to upset Calgary in Sunday's Grey Cup, and Henry Burris named the MVP of that game. Henry, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Oh, doing great, doing great. Of course, you know, we're on cloud nine out here in Ottawa right now celebrating a big Grey Cup victory. Well, you know, you crafty old bugger, Henry. I'm watching the pregame, and you're hobbling around, and Twitter's telling me you're not going to play, and then you go out there and you play the game of your life like you're just setting everybody up aren't you <laughs> <laughs> no trust me uh you know once i once I, everything happened to me during the pregame i mean i you know there was some panic as far as uh you know as far as inside my head because you know i felt that before and you know this was something that you definitely didn't want to have happen at that moment you know during the pregame in the great cup of all moments for something like that to go down but you know luckily like i said for myself and I'm one of the best medical staffs as far as in all the sports that, that we work with that, you know, went in there. And, and trust me, they, uh, they they tidied me up right. You know, they put some feel-good medicine in me and, and you know, definitely uh, manipulated the, the joint in the right way and, and got me prepared to get back out on the field. You know, so I'm very thankful, you know, for the staff that we have uh, and, and, you know, their cells coming together, staying cool, calm, and collected and coming up with a solution executing it and getting me back on the field. Yeah, well, a memorable game. Uh, you played great. I mean, I, I said on Twitter, you looked as sharp as I as I ever saw you as you guys jumped out to a lead. But I want to go back to about a, a week ago in the lead up to the game. How much attention did you and your teammates pay to the fact that everybody said you were going to lose by 30 points or whatever, pick a total? Well, I mean... We understood what we were up against. We knew how good Calgary was and, you know, everything that they had accomplished throughout the season. But we also knew that was the same Calgary team that we basically gave a tie to when we played them here in Ottawa. We had, what, two missed field goals. We threw an interception in the end zone, and we fumbled on the one-yard line on one of the final drives of the game. And so we pretty much handed them, you know, that that tie playing here in Ottawa, whereas in Calgary going into the fourth quarter, it was an eight-point game before they made a few plays and opened things up and took a lead. So – the thing is, we knew going into the game that we had as good of a chance to go in there and, and, and have success against Calgary in all three phases than any other team in this league. But the thing was, we were gaining some momentum down the stretch here. We won some key games on the road, both in Hamilton and in Winnipeg. And, of course, we won the uh, East semifinal against one of the hottest teams 
in the league at the time with the Edmonton Eskimos. So the thing was, we were we were you know taking care of our our ducks in a row. You know, we we were doing things the way they should. We weren't putting the carriage before the horse, and we were making the plays as they should have been made. And we had a lot of confidence going into that Grey Cup. But again, nobody saw us having the confidence by looking at our record. They only saw the fact that Calgary lost two games, and so people had anointed them before the game had even started. Henry, I, I always love asking athletes what they remember about moments in games. And the one I want to ask you about is one you couldn't have control over because Calgary obviously staged a late rally and, and got an onside kick and even had a chance to maybe score the go-ahead points in the last 30 seconds, which wouldn't have left you with a lot of time to do anything about it. What was going through your mind as they were staging that comeback and had a chance to go ahead in the final minute? Well, I had confidence that our defense would hold them to, you know, a field goal in that situation. That's one thing our defense has done a great job of. You know, they've had that bend but don't break mentality, especially when you go against an offense that's that powerful. Uh, but of course, you know, I heard all the comments about, you know, if Bo Levi or, or Jerome Messon would have had the ball there on that second and two, but nothing's ever guaranteed, and one play never decides the game. And and I think people to put too much emphasis on that, not due to the fact that. Calgary did turn the ball over, and there were some errant passes from their side, too. But the thing was, maybe Bradson Upley, you know, if, if he'd have moved, moved up a yard closer, he would have caught the onside, and Calgary wouldn't have had that opportunity. So there's lots, a lot of if hands and buts that were circulating. But again, like I said, nobody could, uh, nobody complained when Buckley went in untouched earlier in the fourth quarter and got that touchdown. So the thing is, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So that's just the status of how football is. You make your decisions, you roll with it, you maintain confidence. And that's the reason why we were great cup champions, because regardless of the fact that we didn't make certain plays, we stayed unfazed. And when they didn't make the plays, they panicked. And that's the reason why they lost in the end and we didn't. Great Cup MVP Henry Burris joining us on Inside Sports. Did, were you aware that Jackson was bobbling that ball that wound up to be the winning touchdown? Or what, what was that? No, like? honestly, I didn't. I, I mean, you know, when I when I threw the pass, I felt like it was in a good position for him to make the catch and and be able to run with it as well. But as the ball hit his hand, I saw the ball kind of deflect off his hand, and I lost it. So, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, man, that's an incomplete pass. But then all of a sudden, I see the bench, our sideline, and the crowd just go nuts. And next thing you know, I see Ejack fall into the end zone, and the ball is in his hands. And I'm thinking, wow, did that just happen? I mean, of course, we always tease each other, especially with our receivers, our defensive backs, that if they catch a ball four or five times in one play, it only counts as one catch. But when it comes to probably the the probably one of the biggest reception of this entire season, uh, and probably in his entire career for Ejack, that was probably the one that'll resonate with him forever. Henry, on Monday I got to interview Tony Gabriel, who made a big catch in 1976. It was the last time an Ottawa team won the Grey Cup. It's an interesting anniversary, an interesting connection, uh, and, and Ottawa football has been so uh, up and down, obviously, since then. Uh, you know, a couple teams have come and gone, and now the Red Blacks have been quite successful. It, just give me a sense of... Um, the connection with the fans and the community. And, I, and I'd really like you to comment on yesterday's rally and just what the energy in that experience was like. Well, I think when you talk about the fact of 40 years it's been since uh, this organization has won a, uh, a major uh, sports uh, title, uh, and to be a part of helping deliver that first title, I mean, you, you, you dream about how the scenario would break down and, and just how it could be. But it's one thing to think about it, but then to actually experience that, it's another. And I tell you, when we turned uh, off of the side street, we were on Pretoria onto Bank Street. 
which is where all the fans had, had gathered for the parade to begin. And we saw just the waves of people up and down Bank Street yesterday. And to see all the kids, all the parents, all the fans, all the season ticket holders that had turned out in only two days' notice. And, of course, Mother Nature was being cooperative by the fact that, you know, it was freezing rain here, so therefore kids weren't going to school. But also, in freezing rain, it was going to deter some people from coming out also. But that didn't deter the estimated and possibly over 40,000 people that were here for our for our parade yesterday and, and allowing us to have uh, probably one of the biggest parties that Canada and the CFL has seen. And even, you know, with, with the NHL team, I, I mean, I don't know how big celebrations can become, but this is probably one of the biggest that, that has been in this country. And, and to see just... And I mean, to feel the emotions from all the people that have been part of not only the Red, the Red Blacks, but the Rough Riders from uh, the past and also the Renegades, they've been waiting such a long time to, to experience this moment that to be a part of this is for us something that we'll never forget. Myself, guys like Chris Milo, guys who've been around this league for a number of years, John God, a number of different guys, for us to be able to come here to Ottawa in only three short years to deliver a Grey Cup championship is something truly phenomenal and something that people probably never thought was possible. All right, Henry. And before I let you go into the off season here, you going to play next year? <laughs> well, I tell you, I've, I've had to fill that question about a thousand times right now. And, you know, honestly, it's something I haven't even thought about yet. I mean, I want to sit down and talk with my family. Uh, of course, I have to get this knee taken care of. Uh, we'll have to do something to, uh, you know, uh, clean the knee up and such uh, here over the next couple of weeks uh, to come. So, I mean, there's so many things that will have to, to happen before I make a decision. But honestly, I've always dedicated the month of December to my family, and I'll continue to do so. Right now, like I, I've told people always, uh, right now we, we feel like we're in Vegas, and one thing you don't do in Vegas is talk about work. So I'm not going to do that right now. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this month with family and friends and with my teammates and with the city of Ottawa. And uh, then once the holidays and everything's over, you know, we'll take care of this in January. Well, that's uh, that's a great answer. And I know you're going to be busy being a hockey dad. We talked about that when you were on a couple of weeks ago. So uh, all, all the best with the uh, the kids' hockey season. Uh, Henry, again, congratulations. Quite a story. One of the best Grey Cups I've ever seen. And uh, Merry Christmas. And I know we're going to be doing interviews like this uh, several times down the road, whether you're a player or not. So I really appreciate your time. Hey, thank you so much for all uh, all the support and everything. And, uh, yeah, I really look forward to, you know, what's to come is what to come. But, you know, right now this is a true special moment here in Ottawa. And like I said, it's a dream come true, and this is the reason why we came here. And now, you know, definitely very thankful I did. Yeah, and thank you so much for everything. Right on. Thanks a lot, Henry. Henry Burris, Grey Cup MVP, checking in tonight to wrap up the CFL season. Inside Sports on 630, Chad. Oilers against the Jets tomorrow, and of course, we'll be watching the power play. Here's head coach Todd McClellan. It's been Jekyll and Hyde. Um, like any team in the wins, it, you know, when you win games, it has a huge impact on the game. Uh, our numbers and wins are significantly better than in the losses. Um, I thought it was very magnified last night when uh, when we had nine minutes of, of power play time, including a five-on-three, and didn't do much with it. Um, so again, we spent enough time today working on it. We juggled a few players around on the units. Uh, but I think if individuals pick up their level of play, that part of the game will also improve. Um, and we're hoping that happens as early as tomorrow. 
Also want to say congratulations to Oil Kings head athletic therapist Brian Cheeseman. He will work with Team Canada at the upcoming World Junior Hockey Tournament. He was also with the team last year in Finland. Hockey tonight. Flames still up 3-0 on the Maple Leafs. Nine minutes left in the second period. Islanders lead the Penguins 3-0 after two. Sharks and Kings face off in 40 minutes. The Raptors are up 115-101 on the Grizzlies with a minute 30 left. So they're going to win. Toronto FC advances to the MLS Cup Final. They beat Montreal 5-2 in the second leg of the home-and-home aggregate. So they won the uh, total goal series 7-5. They actually had to go to extra time to decide it because it was a 5-5 in the aggregate after the uh, end of the game today. All right, so 4.30 face-off show, 6 o'clock face-off tomorrow on 6.30, Chet, Oilers and the Jets. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. The studio producer this evening is Kellen Kennedy. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for listening. Charles Adler tonight is up next. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.